welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, the 49ers season is officially in tailspin mode after losing to the Colts 30-18. to The Colts, they were a tough matchup. They had a good plan on third down, and the 49ers just didn't have enough to get it done. And with me this week, to drop his own bomb cyclone right in your ear holes, it's David Newman. Let's go. Let's just, let's get into it. Bomb cyclone. Let's do it. Bomb cycle right in your ears. an atmospheric river of rage into this podcast. <laughs> wow. That was surprisingly eloquent. Like, I'm I'm even floored by what you're about to do to people's ears. You know, we, we left off, I think, last episode with a lot of fucks. And... Buckle up. I don't... I don't, I don't know that you've got... I didn't think you would have any more left to give for this one. And yet, here we are. <laughs> here we are, David. This this was man. I I had a feeling honestly going into this game. I had a once the rain thing was for sure. I had a feeling because okay, now the thing that, that the Niners needed to do, which was throw the ball, the thing they were probably capable of doing because of the banged up Colts secondary, now is likely not that big of a deal. You're mitigated by the rain. You're now going to have the 49ers try to run the ball and probably go to their runs that the Colts are relatively good at defending, and that's basically what happened and and we're going to get to what happened with Carson Wentz on the offense too but everything just conspired to go against the 49ers in this game after the opening drive and that's where I want to start it's that opening drive because that opening drive looked tremendous and especially after that opening drive you're watching this game as a 49ers fan and you're thinking yeah this is awesome so what did they do on that opening drive schematically to get going I mean it it was mostly just kind of typical base stuff from them. I mean, they they were in 21 personnel pretty much the entire drive with the exception of one play. Uh, you know, it was their their typical run game stuff. It was a lot of split zone mixed in there. You know, they had one power play in there. Uh, and they only threw it twice, you know, both of them were boot plays and, and, uh, we know how successful those tend to be for them. So, yeah, I mean, I think overall it was was largely uh, pretty standard base stuff from them offensively. I mean, I think the one clear exception to that is is the one play that they weren't in 21 personnel, which was that kind of like misdirection handback sort of play where where you got uh, the tight end. I forget which one it was. I think it was Werner um, that that was kind of pulling around. And, and you see Jimmy fake the ball one direction, end up actually giving it to Mitchell the other direction. And, you know, they ended up getting 14 yards. It was the second second big run that they had there and, and kind of the three big ones uh, that led to that touchdown. And and I think otherwise it was just like the the success on that drive. So that was a, a very well designed play um, that they had on the misdirection. But beyond that, I, I felt like it was just a lot of poor defense from Indianapolis and, and kind of catching them in some good looks, right? So I mean, you had, uh, for instance, on on the very first big run, the twenty yarder that they had. I mean, that's a, a second down play and the Colts are playing too high, like playing cover two on that play. Um, they don't match up personnel wise. They've got nickel on and against the 49ers, 21 personnel, and then they're down a man in the box. And and so it was just like that was an easy run for them. I mean, they, they've basically got a free gap and they've got one of the guys that's in the box that they do need to block as a slot corner, right? And, and so they had things like that going. They had, um, you know, just just poor gap discipline from 
the Colts generally. And so, yeah, they, they had some success on the ground and that was what was able to, to kind of uh, keep them out of third down on that drive. I don't think they had a third down on that drive at all. They I did think not. it was a lot of first, the first and second downs, which is ultimately what you want to do. And good offenses do that repeatedly. The, the, I think the narrative that's evolving is that the Niners somehow went away from that. And, and so my question to you is over the course of the rest of the game, did the 49ers really have this kind of scripted opening that looked like one type of offense and they just moved completely away from it, and, you know, much to the chagrin of the 49ers and their 49ers offense, or was something else at play that was able to help stop the Niners when they were on offense? I mean, they they certainly look to, I mean, if you think of it right as that drive, I honestly like is just very core offense for them, like just kind of that that's like the base of what you're getting in, in pretty much every game for the most part. And from there, right, they opened it up, but they, that stuff was still there. I mean, the split zone was still there and, and something that they went to frequently. I think, um, you know, it, it did feel like maybe they went a bit more shotgun going forward. They didn't lean on the boot as much as, as you maybe would think, considering that like, this game didn't really get, you know, out of hand until a bit later, right? So it was uh, th- there wasn't really a point through most of the game that they had to completely abandon the run game and abandon play action and stuff like that, right? So I I would have expected them to maybe go a bit more with the boot action because Indianapolis just didn't really show an ability to stop it. I mean, that uh, they went to it six times. Like I said, two of those were on the opening drives, so only four times. Uh, the rest of the game after that. And, you know, the only incompletion that they had on those was a throwaway from Jimmy Garoppolo. So um, it was something that was successful for them that that I felt like they maybe could have gone to a little bit more. Um, but yeah, beyond that, I think, you know, you, you're going to get the rest of the game plan that's going to gonna find its way in there, you know, over the course of the, the rest of those drives. And um, that was certainly the case. But yeah, I don't think that it was like a a huge departure. They were still trying to run the ball. They were still, you know, trying to, to do a lot of what they like to do. It's just, you know, the, the Colts defense, I think did a better job, especially against the run of not having some of those key mistakes that they had on that opening drive. And we talked about that in the preview to this game is that, that for the specific concepts that the Niners like to run and run well, and they didn't, I don't think they ran to the power in this game, um, but the, the Colts are actually pretty decent at defending it. And, and when you talked about the boot action plays, I think there was one play where they ran three boot action plays in a row back to back, and it was three plays and they scored. It was a touchdown to Debo Samuel. So I do think that there's definitely some, something that they could have done there. It, it's difficult to, the, the weather was just such a complete cluster for this game because I think part of the reason they didn't do more complicated things in the air, and I think one of the reasons they went to shotgun more often than not is because I think the under center snaps were just going to get fumbled. I think both teams had under center snaps that were fumbled in back-to-back possessions. And and so that, it just changed everything. And while I think that it was um, uh, definitely a problem in this game, the weather, I don't think that's the only thing that explains the 49ers loss. I think the weather exacerbated some of the issues that the Niners had, but wasn't just the sole reason. You, you mentioned the boot action thing, and, and I think a lot of fans are looking at those boot action plays and they're thinking, why don't you just run boot action play every single play until they stop it? I don't think that's feasible either. Um, there are, I mean, you look, you look at what the, the Cardinals were able to do against some of the Titans boot action a few weeks ago. And that's going to be an example of, of how teams can start to really react to that boot action when it becomes something teams rely on over and over and over again. They basically have a defensive end or a green dog linebacker just go straight to the quarterback on that backside. 
and it starts to blow some things up. And, and that's how Tannehill ended up getting a, a sack fumble and, and the Colts end up pulling away in, in that game. Or I'm sorry, the, the Cardinals end up pulling away in that game because there are ways for teams to really combat that once it starts you know, hitting them and hitting them hard. I don't think the Niners got to that point in this game, but it's not something that you can just say, just run boot every play and you're going to win the game. They probably ran it as much as they thought they could get away with it. And they got away with it a lot and they were fairly <laughs> successful. Yeah. But I think overall, it's not something you can just do repeatedly over and over and over again. Right. And it's not something, I mean, the the key thing that they had going in those situations, right? I mean, um, in in the first drive and then on, you know, the other touchdown drive that was all play action and and then two of those were on on boot plays they didn't see third downs in those, right? They were executing these early uh, and, and getting successful plays early and down in distance. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, I think, a big problem with their offense is, is once you got into the third down situations, which you're never going to fully avoid, right? You're, you're going to end up in those situations where it's third down, play action's not really going to do it for you. Everybody knows that you're going to drop back and, and throw the ball and you have to be able to execute. And I think those situations were incredibly problematic. I mean, obviously one, one of 11 on third down speaks for itself. And most of those, I think, were were passing plays. I mean, even though I think they had a couple uh, runs mixed in there. But, yeah, I mean, I think it was largely the passing game. And, and on those plays, it was a little bit of everything. I mean, it was it was sometimes it was guys not getting open. Sometimes it was Jimmy Garoppolo missing throws. Uh, you know, sometimes it was pressure that was was getting to him before he could. I mean, there was one play. Uh, it was like kind of more of a third and in, in medium that Jamichael Hasty gets open um, on on a route kind of in the flat there and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo gets hit because he gets Dan Brunskill gives up quick pressure um, gets hit as he throws and and that's one that likely would have been uh, you know a conversion and so you had I think kind of every element of it uh, of things that could go wrong did go wrong you had plays that were even uh, you know kind of somewhat successful and then Debo Samuel fumbles right like probably weather related and and, and so yeah you've got a little bit of everything going wrong on those plays, which is is typically going to be the case when you're that poor, right? When you only convert one third down, I, I think it's very unlikely that there's going to be one single uh, culprit that you can kind of point the finger at there. And, and that was true for this one. Yeah. And the execution issues are real. When Shanahan and some of the players talk about, we need to execute better, they're, they're not lying. Like they, they absolutely need to execute better, but the, the rain exacerbated the issue. In this case, it's not the only issue. They've had issues on third down all year. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. This is not a third down related or, or a weather related third down issue. This is an execution issue that has plagued the 49ers all year. And it's, you know, a lot of different reasons and lots of different things. But that is uh, something that is going to become an important note when we get to kind of the last point that we'll talk about here about where the team is going into uh, their their playoff push. Playoffs? Don't talk about it. playoffs. Um, the, the Colts on offense, though, I mean, they, they really... They won the game. They went out and won the game. They were aggressive. They threw the ball down the field despite the torrential downpour. And it seemed like, especially early, the Colts had a good offensive plan on third down. The, the Niners have a, a, a clear tendency, and D'Amico Ryans has a clear tendency on third down, that is becoming very, very apparent, not just to us, but also to offensive play callers and, and people who design game plans across the league. It's simply that he likes to play more man coverage on third downs. And he likes to bring pressure. It's something that they're doing uh, more than Robert Sala did in his last two years with the 49ers. And it's something he does repeatedly. And if you know the Niners are going to play either in man or bring pressure, 
then you're going to start to call some man beaters. And that's what the Colts did early on in the game. Because you got that TD to, to Moali Cox. It was a pick play. Um, you've got you know, other plays. One, I think Hufanga was a bust where uh, Naheem Himes dropped the touchdown. These are all plays where the Colts knew what defense the Niners were going to be in in man coverage. And they just called a pick play. They called something that was going to beat that. And they executed. And they executed. And it was a touchdown, a long pass, uh, and one that could have been another touchdown. Um, and, and so they, they planned well and schemed well and just had better play calls in those key situations on third down when the Niners, on the other hand, couldn't execute. Yeah, I, I mean, I think where they're at right now defensively on third downs is unless it's a, a, a really like third and long yarded situation, right? So if we're talking like third and 10 plus, then they're probably going to sit in some sort of soft zone and, and really try to hope to to force you to throw underneath and come up and tackle you short of the sticks. But beyond those situations, it, you're really very likely to see one of two things. You're either going to see cover one man coverage or you're going to see some sort of cover three zone pressure, right? Some sort of fire zone blitz. And the the thing that sucks is it's not difficult to tell before the snap which one of those you're going to get. It, because again, when they play man coverage, they don't disguise it. Um, the, and they don't, they pretty much never show you a pre-snap man coverage look and then bail out and play some sort of zone. Like if you get man coverage look pre-snap, they are going to almost certainly stay in man coverage after that, right? And so you have a good idea offensively of of what you can expect from them. And yeah, I think Indianapolis did a good job of, uh, you know, doing some things to to create some picks uh, and get some guys free. And I think then you had that exacerbated by problems with communication defensively with with some of these new defensive backs, right? I mean, obviously you've got uh, Norman in there who just every week seems to to just have a few plays where he just looks fucking lost and, and just has no idea what he's doing. The touchdown to to Moale Cox was was definitely one of those. I mean, the dude is running inside. I don't know if he's just like when he's following. So, I mean, he's on the outside receiver to the side. There's two receivers to that side, right? There's one of them that's on the outside that's coming in. He's the one running the pick, basically trying to sell like he's running a slant route. And then you've got Moale Cox that's on the inside that's running the flat. And Josh Norman just keeps running, even though that that outside receiver, I think it's Michael Pittman, stops and like clearly sets that pick. He just keeps running inside, like covering no one. Like, I don't know if he, he's like glancing inside there and, and he sees because it's an RPO. And if he sees the run action, he thinks he's going to get sneaky in there and, and go uh, stick his nose in the run game. But he is just so clearly. I mean, you can see Jaquaski Tart before the play is even over. Like after the ball is thrown before once he's like, it's like clear that Tart's not going to be able to chase him down and and make the tackle like starts looking back like, what the fuck are you doing? And and there are just plays like this every game um, that that you see from them. And and so, yeah, I think you had that was was certainly a glaring example. I mean, the Hufunga play that you mentioned, I think, is more inexperience on his end and, and just not handling the pick the right way. He tries to go underneath it which is is just a very poor idea. You got to go over the top. You got to stay on top of the route so that you prevent the deep play, right? It's it's not a big deal in that situation if you're giving up some underneath separation and you force him to throw it short, like whatever, make the tackle and you live to play another day. You, you can't try to go under it and and lose and get lost in that pick and and just have nobody there to help. And, and so, 
yeah, I, I think they took advantage of some inexperience and, and some new guys there in that secondary that just weren't on the same page. Um, and, and I think that's been a growing problem. It seems to get worse each week right now where just things in the secondary aren't smoothing over like they just continue to have these communication issues and, and breakdowns. And I, I think they're honestly kind of fortunate. I mean, the weather probably played a role here in, in why that wasn't taken advantage of more. Yeah, I mean, th- this is what happens when you have replacement level players in your secondary and you're expecting them to produce and win. I think Ryan's had a top, he was able to, to duct tape together uh, a top 10 defense over the first few weeks of the season. But the, the difference between good players and and players that are just going to flash for a few weeks here or there is that the good players do it consistently over long stretches of time, whether that be weeks and or years. And and the Niners are playing with literally, you know, I mean, Drake Kirkpatrick was signed in season and Josh Norman was signed in season. Emmanuel Mosley, uh, he had a, a pass hit him in the literally the number four uh, and dropped it. And and he played, you know, he he's not the worst of the 49ers defensive back troubles, but those are the opportunities that they just can't miss if they're going to try to to eke some of these games out, which it sounds like just based on talent level, that's where they're at. They're, we, we thought they were going to be a team that was going to go in and handle their business against uh, other inferior teams. And I think the realization that everyone is coming to right now is that this is a team that we thought preseason had the the talent to make the playoffs and they still might. They are surprisingly one game out of the wild card race. It is early, and they're one game out of the wild card race. I think that speaks more to the what's becoming a top heavy NFC than anything else. There are like five really, really awesome teams in the NFC, um, and then just a bunch of other people that are going to fight each other. and And that's where the Niners, I think, are. They're in that middle group of teams that, if they have a couple things break their way could maybe eke into the playoffs, but it feels a little bit like last season with the Warriors, where it's like, you could make it into the playoffs, but that in and of, itse- in and of itself feels like the win. Like, you're not going to expect them to do much of anything once they get there, because they just can't. They don't have the legs. They don't have the juice. They don't have it. Uh, and and that's where they're at right now. I think at this point, even making it to the playoffs would be a win, because at this point, the expectation seems to be, by all accounts, that they're not going to get anywhere close. Yeah, I, I mean, the more the deeper we get into the season, um, you know, the the more that two and zero start just you know looks like a, a mirage. I mean, basically, you've got that that Detroit and Philadelphia team have combined for two wins so far. They're they're a combined two and twelve. Like I, I think it's I you knew Detroit was going to probably be bad going into the season, but. Um, obviously Philly had a, a pretty solid start to the year, you know, looked really good in week one and, and they've got some young talent there. So it was kind of a little bit more unknown as to where they might end up. But again, yeah, it just looks like they're not a very good team. And, and so, yeah, while I think the Niners aren't, uh, by any stretch on the level of the lions and the jets and the Texans, it just like the very bottom of the NFL, I think they, it, it is becoming more clear. They should not be um really considered something somebody that's a serious contender like if they do manage and obviously crazy shit happens right like uh is it completely out of the realm possibility that they could make some sort of push here and sneak into the playoffs of course not i i I think just right now there's not there's nothing lingering there that's saying that like this is a team ready to make a push like everything that we're seeing from them 
after basically the first three quarters of the season. I mean, they looked excellent for three quarters against Detroit. And since that moment, this looks like a team that's barely holding it together. And and it's going to be competitive. And and they're probably, because they've got enough in the way of talented players, and they're going to get enough offensively, even on their bad days. And and they're going to find a way, yeah, to be competitive in most of these contests. Um, but it, it just, it's a team that, yeah, looks like they're barely managing to hold it together and, and anything approaching like a 500 season is probably going to be reaching higher than what their talent level overall is right now. So we got a bit more on this topic, but first we've got to do some ads and pay the bills. And this week's pod is brought to you by TickPick. 49ers football is finally back, whether you want it to be or not. And there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find 49ers tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need to go to for all your NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. If you can find better prices on the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. You can get tickets to see the Niners try to get their first one at Levi since 2020. Week 15 against the Falcons. You can continue to bludgeon yourself against the immovable object that is this team and go see some games. I was actually like lots of people were at that game. More people than I thought at the Levi's game with the bomb cyclone. So good for you. I hope you did not pay a lot of money for your tickets. I hope you got it on TickPick. That's all I'm saying. Visit TickPick.com slash Rivals today to save $10 on your first order of 49ers tickets. That's TickPick.com slash Rivals. I think Shanahan was really convinced after 2019 that this was, that he had the best team in football and that it was a couple of bad breaks that, you know, cost him a Lombardi trophy. And he's been chasing that high ever since, that exact same high. And he thinks, I've got the quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. I've got effectively the offensive line. You know, maybe there's some some right guard issues, but, you know, we'll figure that out. And, and the defense had just gotten to get a good defensive line, and I can cobble together some pieces in the secondary. And, and you look at what other teams have done after losses because the Niners basically try to run it back. We're now in year two of trying to run it back because they tried to run it back after they lost the Super Bowl, and then, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo happened. And now they're trying to do it again, and, and they just keep trying the same formula, and they haven't retooled that formula very, very much. Not until we get to Trey Lance. But other teams retooled after their Super Bowl losses. You look at the Rams, they changed their scheme up quite a fair bit for lots of different reasons. And they ended up you know, changing their quarterback. They changed their defensive coordinator. They did a lot of changes after they lost the Super Bowl to try to get back there. And now they look like one of the best teams in the NFC. You look at the, the Chiefs, basically went out and got a whole new offensive line. And they were like, we're not, we were in the Super Bowl, but we're not going to stand pat. The, the Niners didn't do much of that. They didn't go out and try to revamp some really obvious trouble spots. They tried to get another journeyman right guard and they tried to do some stuff like that. But they were small tweaks because they thought they had it figured out in 2019. And, and I think that maybe rather than looking at 2019 as the base of the soup, 2019 was kind of the aberration. And the one big move that they made was to go get a quarterback that they don't want to play. Like yeah, that's... He said, that's uh, the, Okay. Shanahan said, it's way too early for me to start thinking about giving guys experience and giving up on the team. This is a quote from earlier today. Uh, giving experience just to give experience isn't always beneficial. 
And, and I mean, we knew that he, and, until like the moment they're mathematically eliminated is going to continue uh, down Because he path, still right? thinks this is a playoff yep. team. Because he, he thinks still that, thinks that yep. this is a team that can get Absolutely. him to the playoffs. And, and I think that, that the, the we, we talked last week, I think, about a lot of the things that Shanahan does well, a lot of the things that he doesn't do well. Overall, net-net, he still nets to be, you know, an average to above average coach, which is a lot better than a lot of people have right now in the NFL. And, and I think that this is one of the areas, though, just the, the, the blind spot when it comes to roster construction, both how you build a roster and also like what you can scheme and what you can't and where you need to allocate resources. And that's not just a Shanahan problem, though, because that's a Lynch problem. That's a Peters problem. That's a Martin Mayhew problem. That's an everyone problem. That's not just a Shanahan problem. Yeah. That's just an organizational thing that they've done for a long time. And they had the aberration year where everything hit on the defensive line. They've been chasing it ever since, and they've neglected the secondary, and here they are. Right, yeah. I mean, I think that that's uh, exactly what's happened, right? 2019 is the formula they're trying to recreate, um, but it's it's the one that was going to be always almost impossible to, to do, right? Like, they, it would, to, to get everything that went right for you in that season to happen again just is not something that you can rely on. Uh, you know, in the NFL, like things like that just don't happen very frequently. And so, um, yeah, I, I think they have shown, I mean, the personnel thing, I think right now, the roster construction and, and specifically what's going on at quarterback are, are the big things that are hampering this team right now. I mean, it's just, you see things like relying on players with, with significant injury history, you know, like counting on Jason Verrett being there and being one of your top corners for another full season is just, it's silly. And then, and I think then you've, even when you try to get, so maybe you're not going to go and, and spend some top resources to get some secondary pieces there. Right. But you do bring in a couple of, of young draft picks. They're not hitting on any of these guys. You know what I mean? Like Ambry Thomas That's part of the problem too. can't get on, on the field. Uh, Aaron Banks, who you drafted to, to take uh, your right guard spot and, and, and fix some of those issues. He can't get on the field. And so, yeah, I think like on one hand, you see like so so I think with with young players that can't get on the field early, sometimes there's a good reason for that, right? Like sometimes it is because they are, are just not very good. And like if they can't impress in situations in practice and, and things like that, like there's probably a good reason they're not showing up on the game. But from a process standpoint as an organization, like well, what was it that got you to fucking take that player in the first place, right? Like, that's what they they can't seem to fix is they keep making a lot of the same mistakes from an evaluation standpoint, from a roster construction standpoint. They don't learn from earlier mistakes there because they don't really feel like they made mistakes. Like, they, they think what they did, they they it, it really comes off as like they just feel like they've been unlucky this whole time. And things broke right like that. 2019 was how the plan was supposed to be, right? That was everything we've been building towards, all the decisions we made coming to fruition. And and really, that's the lucky season, right? Like everything else that we've seen is really a product of what they've been building from an organizational standpoint. Yeah, and I think for for me, I mean, my my head immediately goes like, okay, so what do you do from here? All right, that's... That's the the question I've got is, is how do you, at this point, is it, do you just give up on the year? Because this is what Shanahan isn't, is, is doesn't want to do. He's reluctant to do that. 
And I get that. I, I don't think anyone, while we joke about tanks and the elegant tank and all that kind of stuff, you know, like it's, I don't think that any coach outside of maybe Doug Peterson uh, for like one game to get a pick and maybe ended up causing him his job um, actually ever actively tanks, not, not, not quite like the NBA. And, and so now I don't think Shanahan's going to purposefully cost this team games. I do think he believes that Jimmy Garoppolo is still the, his best chance to win. And that means we're going to see more Jimmy Garoppolo. And, and that I think, I don't know if that is, I, I, the, the conversation about Trey Lance's development, it always comes down to what's, and it should come down to what's going to be best for Trey Lance at this moment in his development, because he is incredibly raw. There are some players that aren't going to get benefit from actually playing right now just to play. You, because they're so unprepared for the situation that you're putting them in, it could do more harm than it would just to sit them down for a year. That is a possibility. It is possible. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what the answer is best for Trey Lance's development. I don't think Trey Lance knows what the hell is best for his development. He's going to want to play, obviously. Um, and, and Shanahan is going to have to get that decision right because when you look to next year, if Trey Lance isn't keeping this team competitive, then absolutely Shanahan deserves way more blame for mishandling not just the drafting of, of him, but also his developmental path by not playing him, thinking that sitting a year was going to be the answer. And then in year two, he's not, you know, he, he's not keeping the team competitive. I know that's thinking ahead, but that's that's kind of where we are at this point in the season. If you're not going to be playing for the playoffs, you're kind of thinking ahead. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think with the land stuff, it's it's so tough because... The examples that always get put out there, right, like Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, these guys that that sat early in their careers, right, and and came out and were superstars, and and it's like those situations are just so different. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, sometimes you do get a guy that it, a quarterback uh, or an organization takes a quarterback in the first round is more of a luxury, and and they really are in a good situation. I think. I think the, the one of the big flaws of this 49ers organization in in the coaching staff or the front office or whatever it is is not always being realistic about the current state of their team and and the state of their roster. And and so like if this was a good team, right? Like I mean Alex Smith, you think about those Chiefs those Chiefs teams like they were winning that year. Like they they were you know a decent team for a, for a chunk of that season and like had been uh, successful with him previously and and like it was a like a different situation that year that Mahomes sat like this team isn't good right now like when when you have all of these rookie quarterbacks I mean none of them are playing especially well right like all of this class and and does that mean that like none of the quarterbacks from this class are going to be any good and they're all going to be terrible for their their entire careers of course not like. You have to, you're going to have some lumps early. Like it's almost unavoidable. These guys are going to come in. They're going to have to adjust. And I think that's especially so for Trey Lance, right? In in terms of the level of competition that he's coming from, uh, it's just going to be a big adjustment and you're not going to make that without being on the field. And so I think if you're realistic about where your team is, which is this is not a Super Bowl team. This is not a competitive, like contending team right now. Um, it, it makes sense to turn over and start to look to the future, even though I understand like it. And I don't think you, you think of that as like tanking, right? Like I, I wouldn't think of the 49ers going to Trey Lance right now is giving up on their season, even though I just think that's what it's going to take for Shanahan and this organization to go there. 
But that's not like if they went right now to Trey Lance for the rest of the season, like that's not a we're trying to get as high of a, a draft pick that we don't have. <laughs> like, you know, like what's the motivation to do that? Right. I, so I just don't see really that side of it. I, I think like, yeah, you just have to get these guys out there, let them make their mistakes, let them grow from them. Um, and, and generally like quarterbacks show you at least something early, like you're going to get flashes, right? Even you look at Justin Fields and, and what he's done this year, like he's had some ugly fucking games, but he's also had some flashes that it's like, Hey, yeah, this is what we saw in college. This is why we drafted this guy. Yeah. Right. And so you just gotta, you gotta give him time to work that shit out. I think that the, the team, I do believe that teams take on the character and the personality of their leaders a bit you think of the jim harbaugh niners and jim harbaugh was he was badger crazy and and we loved him for it until we didn't but he was a team he was a coach that was always tightly wound and i think his teams played tightly wound and, and i think that that's one of the th- one of the features of that team was that they always felt like in sometimes good ways and sometimes bad ways always just kind of close to the brink and really, really tight. They didn't play like super duper loose outside of maybe the Tony Montana squad, right? And I think that Shanahan's personality is one that is incredibly exacting and risk averse. And and I think everything that you described requires risk. It requires saying, no, it's okay. I, I don't know, like that. that's a bit of an unknown and we maybe we lose some games, but that's okay. That all, I think, requires things not going according to the plan that I've laid out, that I've structured, that I need to follow in this specific way to get things my way because I'm used to getting things my way. And when I get things my way, I generally win. And that's, I think, the character of the 49ers team right now. When things go off track, when they don't go according to the plan and the way that Shanahan thought it out. I mean, players say, they they talk about Shanahan all the time and they say, he talks about things, he says it's going to happen, and then it happens. Well, what happens when that stops being true? What happens if Shanahan says this is going to happen and it doesn't, right? Can you play loose? Can you play fast? Can you adjust in the moment and be like, huh, all right. I mean, I'm sure he does. I'm not saying that he doesn't. But I think that kind of character of the team is what is, is, what is coming out of the 49ers right now, that kind of tightness, that kind of risk aversion. And, and they don't have, unfortunately, the talent on the back end to back that up, to play loose, to have that risk. Um, you know, I mean, you look at like, I mean, teams like Bruce Arians, teams like they're going to throw the ball deep. They're going to chuck it deep because that's Bruce Arians. That's his personality. No risk it, no biscuit, right? That team takes that on irrespective of whether or not you've got Jameis at quarterback or whether you've got Tom Brady. And and I think that that's the structure that Shanahan brought and it brought him a lot of success. But he now has to also adjust and learn and grow and realize that sometimes you've got to win. And that means going off book. And that means doing things differently. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're kind of stuck. Yeah, I mean, and I think the one of the frustrating things on that is is we keep thinking that we see some signs of change, right? But then it just never actually shows itself on the field. Like, you know, I, I think the selection of Trey Lance in and of itself, like, speaks to, you know, we talked about this all offseason, right? Like, it appears like it's something that he is is kind of pivoted on from a, a quarterback standpoint and what he thinks can win there and and be the quarterback that he wants to hand pick for his offense, right? Like is a very different I mean, there's a reason everybody expected him to take Mac Jones because that's what the type of player that he's preferred in the past. That's like the the players that he's gone after. 
Um, and, and so there was, it made a lot of sense for a lot of reasons, right? But every time we see uh, something that appears to be maybe him changing and evolving a little bit, it just never sticks. It never actually comes to fruition on the field. And, and he continues to be that same um, conservative, risk-averse, you know, coach. And and I think it it is not... He does so many things offensively to make the jobs of his players easier, right? Whether that's the the stuff in the run game that he schemes up to create beneficial blocking angles for his guys and make those easier, whether it's getting guys open, uh, you know, in, in the passing game, whatever it may be. But he doesn't do those same things in every other area. There in, in, in nearly every other area that he has strong influence in, in terms of what's happening on the field, he is is basically harming his team's chances of winning. And it's uh it's I think it's very frustrating to watch. Like it it sucks. Yeah, it does. It sucks. Uh, you know, you look at the schedule right now and like gun to your head, how many more games do you win? How many more games do you think this team wins over the course of the year? That you look at the schedule right now and you're like that's a win. Wilson is Russell Wilson supposed to be back for that second one? He's done for the regular season, right? Uh, I don't think he's done for the regular season. I think his, uh, he might be back for that Week 13 game. Let's presume that he is. That he's back? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think three three or four wins maybe in there. Um, I mean, the ones I would look to are, are this coming game against Chicago, uh, the Jacksonville game, Atlanta, and Houston. Are, are the ones that I think would have the yep. the best shot of win. Um, two of those, wait, two, yeah, two of those are on uh, the road. So, I mean, who knows? But um, yeah, those those would be the four that I would pick out is the highest likelihood that they have to to win. Yeah, and that's uh, and that's too bad. And I think that's why lots of folks are wanting to see Trey Lance because I think it's. Uh... That at this point, with every loss, the argument for why you play Jimmy keeps just dwindling down to nothing, and it's something that should have happened from the get-go. But if if I'm at this point, I can't do the elegant tank thing anymore because we have no draft picks to tank for. Yeah. So the the solace I've got in in this season, if it is indeed going to go that way, and the Niners can't miraculously turn it around, is that every loss is just one game closer to seeing Trey Lance get the, his developmental boots on. And start playing some football and seeing what this team's gonna look like in the future. So, gotta gotta find it somewhere, David. Gotta find it somewhere. Um, because you know, I did watch some football that made me happy this weekend. Watch some Chelsea soccer, seven zero. I went to go see the UT women's soccer game against Oklahoma State, and they, unlike the men's football team, actually beat Oklahoma State. Uh, they won two to one. It was my daughter's first live sporting event, which was a lot of fun. Uh, it was, uh, it was good. It was a lot of, you know, so there is football that matters, David. I know that there's something in your heart that still warms it. It's, you know, it's shitting on Timo Werner whenever you can and watching Chelsea score seven goals, you know? Uh, Chelsea, who, who would have thought that, uh, the other football would be the only form of, <laughs> of decent football, um, that we have to watch, but here we are. Yeah. It's just, uh, I mean, this team, man, it's just the same shit. It's been the same shit for four years. It feels, uh, 
just very frustrating to continue to find ourselves in these same exact situations um, every year. It's all right, though. We're still here for it. We're here for the ride. And that's, uh, and that's about all we can say right now. Until next week, when we, when we do this all over again and we preview the game against the Bears on Thursday. Because uh, that's what we're going to do on, on Thursday. Yeah, we'll be back on Thursday. Until then, hopefully this wasn't too bad. And hope the, what, what is it, the Arctic bunghole, was it? Or the bomb cyclone. Uh, bomb cyclone. Was, was fun. Was fun from David <laughs> Thanks hey, again look, for tuning in. it in, unlike the bomb cyclone. Really reined it in. Reined it in, huh? Uh-huh. I get it. Yeah. I see what you did there. Uh-huh. We're just going to skip all the formalities because at this point, I'm ready to go have a beer. So as always, go Niners. <laughs>